Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Ever since the Magi brought their odd gifts to the baby Jesus, we've been giving gifts at Christmas time. So I have a few gifts here for us. Who needs diapers? Here's a gift for the golfer. <laughs> Billy is studying at Princeton, so he needs some nourishment. Good luck, Bill. <laughs> Emily, that was beautiful, thank you. <laughs> Susan, that was beautiful, thank you. So, why all this ho-ho-hoing and gift-giving from a guy in a monk's habit and sandals, right? It's a good question. I'll answer it in a moment. But let me introduce myself first. My name is Nicholas of Myra. But I'm embarrassed to say that shortly after my death, they called me a saint. So you may know me better as Saint Nicholas I'm a far cry from the St. Nicholas Clement Moore made famous in his great poem, right? "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there." That St. Nicholas wore a heavy wool coat and big black boots, and as you can see, I wear this monk's habit and sandals. No black boots where I come from, it's too hot. I come from the south of Turkey along the Mediterranean coast. More in a moment about how St. Nicholas moved from sunny Turkey to the chilly North Pole, but a little bit about myself first. Perhaps you know that I was born 275 years after my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My parents, Epicenus and Joanna, were quite old when I came along. They'd been rocking an empty cradle for many years by the time I arrived, so they always called me God's greatest gift. They were richer than God, Epicenus and Joanna. They had orange groves and olive trees and wheat fields and cattle. But these blessings weren't going to last long because both my mother and my father died in the plague of the year 288 when I was 13 years old. My uncle, the Bishop of Myra, adopted me. All that money and land fell to me. I never had to work a day in my life, which is not to say that I didn't work. When I was 19, I went into the priesthood like my uncle, and I loved caring for my flock, the poor and the brokenhearted and the confused. They always told me in seminary that the holiest things my hands would touch were the bread and wine of the sacrament, the body and blood of our Lord. But I always told them that the holiest things my hands would touch were the poor who needed my help. And so I had a blast all my life long spending my inheritance down, giving it away to the poor. So I'm a little embarrassed to tell you how I became a saint, but perhaps I must because I have a point. 
You know, when a good man dies, all these legends grow up around his life so that after a while there's nothing left of the real history of how this man lived and just all these fairy tales instead. This story, for instance, one time on an ocean voyage to Jerusalem, a gale struck my ship, 30-foot waves. We felt like Jonah long before. We all thought we were going to die. And when the crew found out there was a priest on board, they came down into the hold and asked me to say a prayer to God that God would calm the seas, and God did. We made the rest of our journey under sunny skies and over flat seas. And so ever since, I've been the patron saint of fishermen and sailors. Maybe you've heard the story of the evil innkeeper who kidnapped and murdered three boys and packed their bodies in brine in wooden barrels. And when they asked the innkeeper where these boys were, he lied and said he didn't know, but God revealed to St. Nicholas where they were. And when he said a prayer over these boys' dead bodies, they miraculously resurrected to life. And so ever since, St. Nicholas has been the patron saint of schoolboys and barrel makers. One time, a killing famine struck my region of Myra, and my people were starving to death. There was nothing to eat, but there was this boat anchored in the harbor with thousands of sacks of grain. And so I went to the ship's captain, and I said, offload a hundred sacks of grain so my people can have something to eat. And he said, reasonably, I can't do that because if I go to Rome and the cargo is short, the emperor will cut off my head. I said, don't worry about that. So he offloaded 100 bags of grain and continued on his journey. And when he arrived in Rome, not one sack of grain was missing. And so, ever since I have been the patron saint of longshoremen and bakers. <laughs> now, I'll let you decide if those legends are true. But the most beloved tale they tell about St. Nicholas, I can assure you, is absolutely true. And ironically, it was the simplest thing I ever did in my life. It wasn't even a miracle. Once upon a time in my hometown, a nobleman fell on hard times. He was destitute. He was bankrupt. He was broker than the Ten Commandments. His three daughters were of marriageable age. And this is tragic because without a dowry, you can't get a husband. No money, no dowry, no, house, no husband. And so the eldest daughter, Helen, seeing no respectable future for herself, secretly determines that she will prostitute herself for the rest of her days in the local brothel. Well, her father was a good man, but he was proud and vain, and he would never stoop to ask his priest for some help. So, what's a priest to do? Well, I'll tell you what this priest did. He sneaks out, under cover of night, and approaches the open bedroom window of the eldest daughter and drops a bag of gold into her bedroom. The next morning, there's this clandestine bag of gold lying in her bedroom floor. And everybody thinks it's a miracle, right? Everybody thinks it comes straight from the hand of God. And they're right. All of our clandestine bags of gold come straight from the hand of God, right? The next night, another bag of gold, under cover of night, sneak up to the open bedroom window of the second daughter. Another bag of gold, another furtive bag of gold in an impoverished household. Now, later the story will morph a bit, 
and St. Nicholas will drop bags of gold, not into open windows, but down the chimneys of the poor. And so that later St. Nicholas, he of the wool suit, is often found on rooftops dropping, dropping down the chimney to give presents to good children and lumps of coal to bad. The third night, well, <laughs> this father of these daughters doesn't believe in miracles. He begins to suspect the existence of a stealthy benefactor. So the third night, he hides behind a tree, and when St. Nicholas drops a third bag of gold into the open bedroom window, the father accosts St. Nicholas, who's horrified. Nicholas runs away, but the father is fleeter of foot than Nicholas and catches him, and he drops to his knees in gratitude. And Nicholas says, please keep my secret. Don't tell anyone where these bags of gold came from. And the father keeps his secret until Nicholas dies. And then everybody knows where those bags of gold came from. And so Nicholas becomes the patron saint of brides, newlyweds, spinsters, I don't know why, <laughs> schoolboys, barrel makers, prostitutes, of course, and my favorite, pawnbrokers. Why? Because pawnbrokers produce bags of gold at the hour of direst needs. Now, people like you probably don't even know the common everyday symbol of a pawnbroker. Three golden balls to symbolize the three bags of gold. Now, the trouble with telling these tall tales about the lives of the saints is that they intimidate everyday, ordinary Christians, right? We can't calm the seas, we say to ourselves. We can't resurrect dead boys. We can't materialize sacks of grain out of thin air. But the point is, you don't need to do a mir Do you have sacks of gold? Looks to me like you have sacks of gold. And so if St. Nicholas is remembered at all 1,700 years after his death, I hope it's not because of the miracles, but because of that simple act of charity. A thousand churches in Europe are named in his honor. He is cherished everywhere, but especially in Russia and in Greece, whose patron saint he has become, and for reasons I don't understand, among the Dutch, who call him Sinterklaas, and on his feast day, December 6, stuff their children's stockings with toys if they've been good in imitation of Father Nicholas. And then, of course, when the Dutch crossed the Atlantic and settled New Amsterdam, they bring Sinterklaas with them. And when the English wrest New Amsterdam from the Dutch and turn it into New York and replace Dutch with English, they start calling Sinterklaas Santa Claus. You go ahead and say St. Nicholas three times, real fast. See what you get. St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas. Nicholas is Santa Claus. It might have been Clement Moore who made him chubby and put him in a wolf suit and moved him from Turkey to the North Pole and a Coca-Cola advertisement later made the suit red and put fur trim on it and black boots. So, St. Nicholas is the patron saint of brides, newlyweds, spinsters, schoolboys, barrel makers, prostitutes, and pawnbrokers. But do you know what my favorite title for myself is? Sometimes they call St. Nicholas the patron saint 
of all those who do good by stealth. That's my favorite. The patron saint of all those who do good by stealth. So I'm your patron saint too. And I came to speak to you this morning to speak the hope that one Christmas, before it's too late, you'll start sneaking out under cover of darkness, doing random acts of kindness and guerrilla good deeds, and you'll spend your life giving away your inheritance to the poor and wind up at the end in Bethlehem where all this gift-giving got its start. And at that manger, you will lay everything you have and everything you are at the feet of the Christ child, the greatest gift ever given. Merry Christmas. God bless you.